Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 155. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Back in the casino for a Monorail Radio Disney Plus roulette. Thank you to our friend Andrew, loyal listener of the show, for the numbers. This week we ended up on Artemis Fowl. Uh, maybe I maybe I should not be jumping to thank Andrew for these numbers just yet. But yeah, the controversial... Artemis Fowl, based on the book series, you're a bookworm. Did you ever read any of these? I mean, they're YA books, but did you ever, like, delve into this Artemis Fowl universe? I didn't. I was never big into... Well, I don't want to say that I wasn't big into fantasy because I love me some Harry Potter, but I was never into this genre. Like, never read Lord of the Rings. I painstakingly watched the movies for Lord of the Rings. So this just wasn't my cup of tea. But funny enough, it is sort of surprising that I missed it because these books actually did come out around the same time as Harry Potter. This film was in development for about 19 years before they actually got it done. And I didn't know enough about it. I honestly thought that this was trying to be the next Harry Potter, as most things are now. After the success of that and Twilight... Most YA books, they want, you know, at least two or three of them so that they can eventually, if the book series is successful, they want to do the movie franchise as well. So it it almost comes as like a package deal nowadays. Right. But that wasn't the case here. Uh, they just had the book series ready to go and they optioned it for a film before the book was even published. That's interesting. How would one even go about doing that? I guess if they liked the concept enough, that was enough to go on because there were eight books at the time. But again, you're talking about before the success of the Harry Potter films. So I will give it credit in that regard that it wasn't trying to be something that it's not. Sure. The question now is, was this worth a 19-year wait? Was this worth 19 years spent in development hell? That is what we are here to discuss. This review is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Instagram or Etsy, search for Hidden Mickey Supply Co., and shop for all of your straw charm needs. On the Irish coast, we learn that a collection of relics has been stolen and linked to rarities dealer Artemis Fowl. Mulch Diggums is arrested at Foul Manor, where he tells police that his employer has stolen the Oculus. We don't know what it is yet, but he then begins to tell us the story about Artemis Fowl Jr., who is a rebellious 12-year-old genius who is heartbroken to learn that his father has gone missing after his boat uh, was found. It wasn't capsized. It was just found without anybody on it. And now... Because they have found these relics on the boat, the media has now branded his father as a thief, and they are doing everything in their power to kind of squander his once stellar reputation. Artemis gets a phone call from a hooded figure who has kidnapped his father and gives him three days to return the Oculus that his father has hidden. 
Dom Butler, the family bodyguard, shows Artemis a hidden room in the manor that proves the existence of mythical creatures because his father is all about trolls and pixies and fairies and he's told Artemis all of these stories and he just always assumed that that's all it was, was folklore. We are then introduced to Holly Short, an officer in the Lower Elements Police Reconnaissance, or Leprechaun for short. Her commander, Julius Root, sends the Leprechauns to try and track down the Oculus back on the surface because they kind of live in like a sub-level below the Earth. Um, Back on the surface, we see that Dom's niece, Juliet, has joined us and that Artemis Sr. obtained the Oculus from Beechwood Short, Holly's father, in order to keep it safe from Opal Cowboy, the hooded figure who is out to destroy mankind. Holly, out to clear her father's name, disobeys orders and ditches her mission before being caught by Dom and held captive at Foul Manor. The leprechaun officers surround the manor using a time freeze, but Dom and Artemis fight them off using Holly's equipment. Artemis negotiates a deal for the Oculus in exchange for... Holly's release, but Root offers mulch. Root? Mulch? We're in a garden. She offers mulch a reduced jail sentence if he burrows underneath the manor to find the Oculus, which he eventually does. The leprechauns are captured by Lieutenant Briar Dungeon, uh, or Gudgeon. I knew I was going to do it. The whole time I wrote his name down, I knew I was going to call him a dungeon. Gudgeon. He's actually a spy for Cowboy. He also releases a troll into the house and blocks all magic from being used inside of the house. They eventually defeat the troll, but Dom is killed while trying to save Artemis. The leprechauns release Holly's magic back to her, and she's able to bring Dom back to life. She then summons Artemis Sr. back to the manor, saving him from Cowboy. They release and return the Oculus to Haven City, and the Leprechauns begin to investigate a list of cowboy accomplices that Artemis Sr. gave them. Mulch then tells us that his arrest was arranged to clear Artemis's name. Artemis and his father, along with Holly, break Mulch out of prison and fly away on a helicopter. So if that plot seems confusing, yes. <laughs> You'd be you'd be accurate. I, I and my understanding is because I haven't read the novels, admittedly. You know, unlike you, I was not into the Harry Potter stuff. I wasn't into the YA stuff. You know, even when we were in the target demographic. So this was one that it, it's not that it eluded me. I just never read it. But my understanding from people who are fans of the book that were so critical of the film is that they did not do a fair representation of the source material because it sort of seems like they rushed through things and they glossed over details to try and make this an hour and 40 minute movie and and not having any knowledge of the source material being on the outside looking in I felt the same way watching this for the first time I completely agree. As we were watching, I felt that this film had so many pacing issues, but I couldn't even articulate what they were. Like, I, I still don't have an overall generalization of what my pacing issues are because they varied from one scene to the next. I felt like they had so much trouble getting into scene 
and backing out, not because there was so much going on, but because by the time you caught up with what was happening in the plot, they would be onto something else. It just lacked a little bit of finesse. And I think that that comes from assuming that we have read the books, which is such a gripe with, you know, and we've said it before when we've done all these sequels or even when we've done a live action remake of an animated film, you can't assume anything about the audience. It has to make sense as is on screen. And I feel like the majority of this film just didn't. Even from the jump with the media frenzy, we should have been able to pick up a little bit of exposition from all of those sound ups with the reporters. And I really didn't get a lot out of it. And granted, you do get it when they start doing the Mulch Diggums interview, but I just feel like we should have been able to glean a little bit more from the reporters being outside the house. I think the issue with this entire film, and I'm just going to say this right now, to sort of piggyback on what you said, you're right. I It was hard to like pinpoint any one specific thing that you had a problem with because the pacing is so off that by the time you've figured out what's going on in the previous scene you're now trying to figure out what's going on in the scene that you're currently watching this film to me has the feel of a movie that changed directors in the middle and that's not what happened but that's how this movie feels that's a really great point almost like uh an alice in wonderland syndrome yeah for sure and and you're right you know you get these you get this media circus in the beginning and I guess that they just, I, I, don't, I don't know what the hell they assumed. Like, that's the thing. Like, this movie, for me, can very much be summed up with I don't know. Like, I don't know what they assumed we were going to take out of that media scrum. Because it wasn't, I mean, listen, we've seen movies do this before where you have, it, it, they do it in, um, in a lot of, like, historical movies like for example miracle the opening credits to miracle is just a mashup of all of these different news broadcasts and radio broadcasts that were talking about things that were going on in the world in 1980 from 1979 into 1980 with you know jimmy carter and the gas prices and the cold war but they did it in such a way that they did it over the opening credits so that by the time you got to the start of the film, you were at least up to speed with, okay, these are very trying times. That's why this hockey team is so important. I mean, you kind of know that going in because you know the story, but I'm just saying they do a good job of putting you in the mindset and putting you in the mood. In this movie, they tr- I felt like they tried to do the same thing And they completely missed the mark. Right. Nine times out of ten, it works. You have like a really frenetic intro and you're only getting bits and pieces of story. And then we spend the next 90 minutes unpacking that. Okay, fine. It's usually a great intro to any film. It's, you know, a quick start to get right to the action. Here, they're not giving you enough 
and I still have no idea where this is in the timeline. I don't know if this is right before the father goes missing or if it's after everything and we've come full circle. I think it's after because you've, you're, you're seeing Diggums get arrested. And at the end of the movie, they tell you that they, they set the whole arrest up just so that he could clear Artemis's name and then they break him out of jail. But, but it's so much of this movie, though, is like, I don't blame you for that. Like, honestly, until I sat down to write this plot out, I had no idea where it was in the timeline either because it is not clear. It's not clear at all. Right. What I do like about the beginning of this film, though, I had no idea this was going to be like an Irish folklore movie either. I guess because part of this, and I will I will be fair, this was also pushed back because of COVID. Right. Uh, so this was supposed to come out in 2020. I think it was summer of 2020, yes. and they pushed to the end of the year, and I want to say they ended up giving us this one for this free. This was a freebie on Disney+. Plus In December. Um I keep getting this confused with the Kingsman. Yeah. I don't know why that movie has Samuel L. Jackson in it. Uh, but I guess because it sort of made to feel like a James Bond knockoff heist sort of yeah, a movie. Caper movie, yeah. I think that's why they're kind of jumbled together in my head. And that was actually an early version of what this was supposed to be. Um, they were going to do Artemis Fowl almost like what they did with Scary Movie, where it was a spoof of the genre, and this was going to be sort of like a Lord of the Rings spoof. Mm -hmm. I would have been all for that, and I bet you it would have made a lot more sense. But regardless, one of the few things that I did like uh, was how they leaned into the setting. I yes. really wasn't expecting the folklore aspect, and I really wasn't expecting this amazing beach surfing scene that we got. Because when you think Ireland, you think of the greenery and the moors and the castles and all that kind of thing. I would have never in a million years thought beach surfing. Yeah, well, there, I mean, obviously Ireland has a coast, but it does have surfing. It does have beaches. I was really excited at first when, when I thought this was going to be an Irish folklore movie, and it's not really what it ends up being. It kind of leans into it sometimes. That's the, you know what? It kind of leans into it sometimes. That is another way you can sum up this movie. Other than I don't know, I feel like this movie only goes 50% with everything that they do. They only half explain certain things. They only half execute certain things. And it is a shame because I think the cinematography throughout the whole film, I think it's actually very it's impressive. It's beautiful. It's yeah. really well done. And and in the very beginning, you know, the whole interrogation thing with Diggums to me is straight out of James Bond. So I can see where in their in their mind's eye, that's how they were gonna kinda make this spoof, sort of like um like you said, it would be it would be the Lord of the Rings what Austin Powers is to James Bond, right? Right. So I can see where they kind of started leaning into that, and then the movies, the movie is off the rails in the first five minutes, and it never like fully does recover. Which is funny because you mentioned the Diggums interrogation. There is borderline too much narration by the time we meet Artemis Senior. For as much as we don't know what's going on, 
then I was kind of like, all right, shut up, Olaf. I want <laughs> I want some exposition here. Uh, and I would never, ever say that because I love everything that Josh Gad does. But I feel like they didn't deploy the narration correctly. And at times it was too overpowering. But I do love the way that it was shot. Uh, for the part where you see him on screen, like you were talking about, they made it black and white. He's looking slightly off camera. Um, I think that that was a nice touch, but it should have just been left there in the room with Diggums, not carried out. I mean, the narration where we don't see him on screen and it's just a voiceover goes almost a third of the way into the movie. It's not until we meet him at first just as a normal character before mm -hmm. he gets arrested that the narration stops. And that's almost it. I mean, it's, it's a good chunk of the way into the movie. I mean, look, I like his tongue in cheek humor during the narrations, but part of what is supposed to make this movie fun and what makes any great heist movie enjoyable, whether it's a James Bond movie or the Italian job or oceans 11 or Logan Lucky, there's mystery. You don't know what's going on. You don't have somebody explaining it to you. There should have been more mystery behind Artemis Sr. Like, I wish that he was the character that we didn't know if we liked him. We didn't know if he was a good guy. We didn't know if we could trust him. We feel bad for his son. We, we feel for his son. We want his son to break him out because we want his son to rescue him. But it doesn't mean that we trust him or that we know that we like him. And I wish that they would have just left that mystery there. Right. Instead, they romanticize him far too much. And you know how much Artemis looks up to him. So we do like him and we do trust him. Where this fails... And I don't want to get into character too much just yet, but I think this does need to be said because it does sort of set the film up for failure, in my opinion, is that Artemis is supposed to be a criminal mastermind. Artemis Jr., I'm talking about. Right. He's supposed to inherit everything that his father has done. And as I said, it's romanticized. He has passed down all of his knowledge about the fairy world. Uh, so you know eventually Artemis Jr. is going to take over, right? Yeah. The problem is with the with him being a criminal mastermind in the back of your mind, it sort of creates an ambiguous character because he is our main character. We're supposed to like him. We're supposed to be rooting for him to be reunited with his father. But with criminal in the back of your head, they sort of create this, is he going to dip into the evil side or is he going to go good? Like a Kylo Ren or like an Alphaba in Wicked. The issue is that he's too young. Yeah, at the age of 12, absolutely. Because you're still developing as a person. So when you do something that is sort of unethical there's not as much conviction behind it because you're still learning. Whereas when you have an older character, like a Kylo, like an Alphaba, they're intentional. And nine times out of ten, if they're doing something bad, it's for the greater good. Well, maybe not Kylo Ren, because he, he's pretty bad until Rey gets him back. But in the case of something like Wicked, we've believed the whole time that the Wicked Witch is evil, but we see that there was a lot more that we had no idea 
was going on behind the scenes. And when you see Elphaba try and break down those decisions, her heart was always in the right, right place. With Artemis, you really don't know. You know that he wants to save his father, but he doesn't really do anything that makes him inherently good. He doesn't do anything that makes him inherently good, but he doesn't do anything that makes him inherently bad. Like He's just sort of there, and, and, and the movie ends when he says, I'm a criminal mastermind. He's a criminal mastermind because he told us he was. You know what I'm saying? Like, nothing that, nothing that happened in this movie seemed to motivate him becoming a criminal at the end. Especially because he spends the entire movie trying to clear his father's name and trying to say his father's not a criminal. And that's what I'm saying. He doesn't do anything good to clear the name, but he doesn't do anything bad to make me believe him as a criminal either. And, and that's it. it. Because it's a kid, you're you're not even leaning one way or the other yet. Yeah. Yeah. He had to do something that was more decisive. But anyway, we're, we're going to get into that more. But I think we did need to clear that out of the way because it does play such a role in why some of these scenes don't work and why his relationship to other characters doesn't work. Yeah, because when we meet him for the first time, we see that he's got this wonderful relationship with his father. I love that Artemis Sr. shares his stories with his son, and I love the fact that his son, like, kind of has the all, come on, dad, but, like, really isn't tired of hearing these stories. Um, he's still kind of on bated breath with these stories. And it's Disney, so a parent's dead, and he has no mother, and he's in therapy. And he's so smarmy with the therapist, and they're trying to develop him as a genius. Like, that much makes sense, but they kind of stopped after that. He doesn't even blink when he's talking to his therapist. So I was really intrigued by that. Oh, I, I, I thought it was going to like springboard into something fantastic. And they, but they went, they went half in. Exactly. Because to me, that reads mastermind. And then they do nothing with it. Right. It's as useless as the therapist leaving his keys in the door. Did you notice that when he runs out of the room? and he slams the door to the office shut, the, the therapist left his keys in the door. I did not notice that, no. It makes no sense. Like most of this movie, it doesn't make any sense. It's odd that they would place so much emphasis on something like that and so much attention to detail for something that goes nowhere, juxtaposed against something like this incredible set that they give you in the house, which they utilize so much throughout the film. You know, they bother to show you Artemis going throughout the house and in and out of these different rooms. And then eventually when uh, Dom shows him his father's, not even office, it's like his secret lair with all the fairy stuff. Uh, it's just so beautifully done and it's such a cool set. But they they really took their time with that because, spoiler alert, they're going to destroy it later. Right. I love, though, that it is, like as you just pointed out, it's a fully functional set. I love all the trap doors. I mean, the layout is, is incredible, but I love the trap doors, the hidden rooms, and how everything, like, it's, it's what I wish they would have done with Haunted Mansion. It's what they've done, 
you know, like in the Adams family where you pull this and this happens. Like it is a very cool build. They half went for it. Like everything else, they half went for it. Because I felt like there was so much more of that house. Because it is such a massive house. Listen, I don't need to see Artemis's bedroom. I don't care about that. But I felt like for a setting that was so big, we see the living room, we see the kitchen, we see his underground lair. Yes. And, and not much else. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, they did pay attention to detail because you sort of need that spatial reasoning for later on in the movie. So I think they did actually spend enough time there. The set that was actually kind of disappointing for me was this fairy world. It was cool, but I don't feel like it was anything unique. I don't think it's anything that we haven't seen before in a Lord of the Rings or a Star Wars. Like there was nothing that leapt out at me. And what I was really expecting, I thought we were going to see more of a Pandora because they're supposed to be living in this sub, like this subterranean world, I guess. But you know, to me, when I think fairies, I mean, okay, yeah, I'm thinking about Tinkerbell, but I would think that even if they do have a lot of technology and they are advanced in that regard, I was expecting to see a lot more made out of natural materials. Yes. Yeah. Like something you'd expect that, that you would have found like in a forest, like they foraged for stuff. If it wasn't going to be some sort of like really bright and beautiful, this was like underground steampunk. And it was exactly sort of weird. Like it just, it was, it was a strange decision to make. Steampunk totally works, I think, for Mulch's character, but for everything else, it looked almost too advanced. I don't need to see a Jarvis in this world. What would have been really effective was if they did something like the Santa Claus, where once they get to the North Pole, you have that very traditional looking, what you would think Christmas to be. Uh, or just a lot of, you know, those traditional holiday decorations, but they hid their technology in plain sight. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny that you bring the Santa Claus up because watching these leprechauns fly around, it just reminded me of the elves from Santa Claus, except the special effects in the Santa Claus were better than the special effects were in this movie. Agreed. These special effects are so bad this would not be forgivable if they made the movie straight for Disney+. Plus. The fact that this was supposed to be a theatrical release makes the special effects even worse. By far the worst is the... Tro what do you want to call him? Troll? Ogre? Tr troger. He's a troger. Because <laughs> uh, he looks like an ogre and they tell you he's a troll. He looks like he's missing a couple of layers or a render or something. It is just so unbelievably bad. He look I I, I can't even say that he looks video gamey because I've seen video games that, that look are better. better by far. You know, the whole like to me this is where the movie really starts to kind of become forced. I kind of felt the whole leprechaun thing was forced like it's Ireland and we have these mythical things but we don't want to put the leprechaun with the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow so how can we oh 
let's take the let's take the the pronunciation of leprechaun and make it like you know uh, an acronym an acronym for this other thing, but they're actually police officers. Oh, see, I thought that that was kind of clever. I I thought that much like the Santa Claus, where they use elves as an acronym. I kind of thought it was in a similar vein. Didn't bother me. See, but in in the Santa Claus, you had elves, like actual elves. Like I felt like they had Ireland as a setting. They wanted leprechauns, but not really. And this is sort of how they were like, well, we can't not have leprechauns in Ireland. So here's how we're going to do it. What bothers me more than anything else about this troll ogre scene yeah because i want to talk about because that's where i was getting to next yeah again beautiful cinematography except for the troll uh with this wedding uh and i thought that the freeze so that they could do the mind wipe was really clever and that was also well executed because you're weaving in and out of people as they're frozen uh so that was all visually stunning um but it's funny, they bothered to do all that and they send in a team of leprechauns. They freeze everybody, they do the mind wipe, and nobody bothers to clean up. Which is maybe just my OCD speaking, but if you're going to bother to do a mind wipe, wouldn't you want to reset everything so that nobody even realized that it happened? This movie half does everything. That's not even my real issue with it, though. That's like... A minor side note. No, but it's it's a valid observation, though. My real issue with it is that we're supposed to be a criminal mastermind, right? So Yeah, that's what they told us. Artemis is going to use this opportunity to capture Holly. Mm-hmm. Artemis doesn't lure her out. She's sent up there to deal with the troll. Yeah. And Dom gets her by the hill eventually. Right. I mean, they knew Artemis did use his father's journal to track down where they were going to be. But I thought that he would be doing more to lure them out. And then there was a brief moment the first time we had watched this where I was like, wait, did I miss something? Did did Artemis lure the troll out as bait? But no, no, I don't think I missed anything. You missed nothing. This this troll scene, the the attack, the whole attack is kind of unmotivated. It just happens so that we can see them use this time freeze technology. And also so that this lieutenant, Dungeon Gungeon Gujin, whatever, is eventually going to release said troll onto foul manner. So basically, the entire purpose of this was we have this technology and you'll see him later. That's not a reason to put a a scene in a movie. Right. If you need the throwaway line to establish what the freeze is, we could have learned that from Artemis going through his dad's stuff, which I thought we were also going to get more of. They give you just enough of what you need to know I thought we were going to be doing a little bit more research and we were going to learn a little bit more and maybe see Artemis doing something on a minor scale that comes into play later. Right. 
or or that he learns you know they they kind of did that in Harry Potter because Hermione's the bookworm so she's constantly reading and spewing out all of these facts but they call them back later on and that never happens here exactly instead you get really bad screenwriting like top of the morning because the leprechaun had to say top of the morning when Judy Dench says it when Root says it. Oh, see, I thought that was funny. Oh, it was awful. That was an entrance. It was okay. awful. Was it as bad as Judy Dench and Cats? Um, no, because there was nothing in this world worse than Cats. And Judy Dench is so wildly talented somehow some way in the matter of like 3 days i got her worst and her second worst performance <laughs> in her career that's an accomplishment when you have somebody as talented as judy dench but and i guess maybe that's Partly why I cringe so much because the top of the morning line is just so cheesy and overdone. But having Judy Dench say it, to me, it was just a total miss. I disagree. I thought that that was a good moment of comic relief. Not that you even really need relief, but it just it entertained me for a moment. Well, I mean, Which I guess... Which is a compliment. That's one of the nicer things I'll say. Yeah, well, you needed a moment because the other hour and a half is completely unmotivated, unfinished, and, and just all around not at all entertaining. Speaking of unmotivated, when Artemis does finally capture Holly... Yes. They try to create this tone of not knowing if it's her or Artemis that's the antagonist, and... Like a lot of things, it just falls flat. Yeah, and as you pointed out before, it's not like he did anything to lure her out of hiding. He kind of just got lucky that Dom caught her. You know, like, I, I, a lot of what happens in this movie is kind of just dumb luck, but not in, like, a Captain Jack Sparrow endearing way as he's making it up as he goes along. Things happen in this movie when they needed something to happen to make the movie go forward. Right. And this could have been one of those moments where you see Artemis turn and you realize his evil because, you know, he did capture a likable character. So you do think that Holly is going to become the protagonist at this point. And in a way, she sh she sort of does because... We've had a little bit of character development with her. She gave the little girl at the wedding. She made sure she got the ice cream back. So we know that we like her. Eventually, we know she's going to help Dom. So the footprints are all there for her to become the hero and Artemis to become the anti-hero. But they never fully flesh out either of them in either way. Because in Holly's case, we don't have enough of an understanding of why she would want to help the humans. At least not now. It it does come later, and they don't unpack it enough. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, her entire motivation is to clear her father's name and stop this 
cowboy from uh, destroying mankind. But you're right, that gets fleshed out eventually. I think a lot of this boils back to you if you if you would have left a little bit of mystery in Artemis Senior, if we don't know if we can trust him, I think she becomes a more likable character because she becomes the clear cut protagonist at that point. But again, like misstep after misstep after misstep, and it just left everything lacking right because when eventually artemis does let her out of this cage that he has trapped in the middle of his kitchen yeah um there's nothing to earn that moment because you haven't seen her do enough or him do enough i get that the trust between them is supposed to remain ambiguous and you don't know whether or not either of them is going to turn, and you shouldn't. That's what's supposed to keep you interested in their relationship. But what needed to be clearly established was if Artemis was using her too. Like, yes, she was the bait, but in her case, I feel like Holly's using him more to clear her father's name. Yeah, and that would have helped further develop him as a criminal mastermind and a genius if he was using her the whole time. Right, and in her case, as you said, she is trying to clear her father's name, but we still don't get enough dots to connect to figure out why she's trusting humans in order to do that. Yeah, it just leaves too many questions. Everything that happens leaves too many questions. There was a point where I was like, is she of both worlds? Like, was her father a human? Is that what we're supposed to get out of this? I don't know. They never fleshed it out. Like, you're, you're right. You're sort of led to believe that perhaps that was the case because her father was working with Artemis Sr. in protecting this Oculus. But they never really go there again. And I'm not going to say it again. This movie half does everything. Well, maybe that is it, though. Maybe that's why she takes a liking to humans because her father was working... With Artemis Senior. Yeah, but we're we're spitballing here. It shouldn't be on us to spitball what we think is happening in a movie, right? No, and that's only dawning on me right now. And it would also help establish Artemis Senior as a good guy. I want to talk about this Oculus. It's important because they told us it's important. That's it. Couple issues here too. Uh, for a character named Mulch Diggums that looks the way he does, you know he's going to dig at some point. Yeah. When we finally get there, it is so anticlimactic. Not to mention the CGI is terrible, and it's gross! Yeah, he just, like, unhinges his jaw, and pull. he looks like something out of Beetlejuice, and he just pulls his jaw apart, and then eats through dirt... And it passes through his body. I'm not going to tell you where it comes out. That's what my issue is. I have no problem with unhinging the jaw. But we didn't need to see where it comes out. But, well, maybe you kind of do, because then I'd have far too many questions about where it goes, where the dirt goes. I'm not thinking that hard. (laughs) I'm just not. Uh, But back to the Oculus, like you said. uh, It's an acorn. 
And it being inside the house the whole time is so freaking anticlimactic. I thought this was going to be in the beginning, not by the time we meet the fairies and everything. And you're almost halfway through the movie at that point. I thought this was going to be a national treasure type of scavenger hunt through Ireland to find this thing. So did I. No, it's just behind a picture frame. And listen, it's not... Sometimes movies pull that off very well, like The Hangover, Doug's on the Roof. Yes. But in this case... But there was a build-up to that because there was mystery behind that. Right. You spent 90 minutes with these guys trying to find their missing friend, and he's up on the roof. And the brilliance is, by the time they actually do it, you almost forget about Doug. You forget that they... Not only do you forget about Doug, you forget that they were even on that roof to begin with. Right. So, yeah, the fact that, like you said, it's just behind a frame and there it is. Like so many other things in this movie, it's just anticlimactic. Okay, let's move on. Um... Now, the lieutenant has decided he's going to turn his back on everybody and unleash this troll. Dom's death, quote-unquote, um, it was pretty brutal. Because Dom is probably, for me at least, the most likable character in the movie. I like Holly, but I think Dom's probably the most likable. And I kind of wish that they would have just left it there. I think her having her magic and bringing him back, I actually think it worked against the scene. Because it's one of the few really emotional moments that they pulled off well. Right, and because Artemis does get his father back and he does get a win, you kind of do need to take the L here because we'd see growth from him. But I guess... As is the problem of most films, most franchise films, you sacrifice story for the bigger picture. I think that they knew this was going to have several sequels and you need that sort of father figure if and when his father's not going to be around. Turns out he is. But I mean, could you imagine Bruce Wayne without Alfred? They've tried it. It's never worked. So I think you need someone here to bounce off of. You also have Juliet, who nobody develops a relationship with. She's useless. There's no reason for her to be in this movie. She serves no purpose. A lot of these characters serve no purpose. She's the most useless one in the movie. No, she barely helps Artemis, but that's the thing. I thought maybe she was going to end up teaming up with Holly, and that's how... You know, especially if if Artemis and Dom were too busy fighting the troll, then maybe Holly and Juliet go and, and they take care of the Oculus and, you know, they split off into twos and they double team everybody and that's how they get the win. No. No, she does nothing. No. Like a lot of characters in this movie, they do absolutely nothing. And you want to talk anticlimactic, they don't really rescue his dad. No. Holly just summoned him with magic, which apparently she could have done the whole time. Yeah. So what's the point? And you don't defeat a villain. I mean, I guess this hooded figure is is the 
I guess it's the villain you kind of have to fight off for this entire franchise. Well, that's... Not that we're ever going to know, because they're never going to do another movie anyway. Th- like, it's just like, okay, and here we are. You're here. Welcome back. Right. Let's fly away in a helicopter. I mean, clearly they're setting up the sequel, but... It's not an earned moment. I mean, you do get Artemis Sr. giving Artemis the pat on the head of, oh, good, you found my journal, you figured it out. And you do sort of get the impression that Artemis Sr. is going to let Artemis in on the adventures a little bit more now that obviously he knows they're not just fairy tales and folklore anymore. Um but it's just so anticlimactic. The only thing that really brings it full circle for me is that they break mulch out. Yeah. Here's the thing. I'm, I guess I'll spoil my review. I want to care, but I don't. I don't care that they break him out. I don't care about any of that. Because to me, by the time we get to that point, we're so far gone, none of it matters. None of it matters to me. All right, let's talk about some of these characters, starting with um, our title character, but we're going to go Junior uh, because it's just Artemis Fowl. Uh, Ferdia Shaw plays Artemis Fowl Jr. Um, I don't like going after child actors because they're kids. And I don't... Don't I don't know that this is an indictment of this actor or if this was just a horrible script with bad direction. But if you ever watched Gotham, David Masood Mazuz, I forget how you pronounce his last name, um plays young Bruce Wayne, and he's so damn good. From when you see him the first time all the way to him putting on the... Well, I don't want to spoil the season finale. Let's just say that that is a fully fleshed out character who was so endearing. Now, if you gave him Valium, he'd be Artemis Fowl Jr. (laughs) There's just nothing much to him. He's a mastermind because... He told us he was, and he dresses like he's in the Men in Black. I think this is a case of bad writing and even worse direction, because in the beginning, in the therapy scene, I think the actor does so well. Again, doesn't blink. You can tell his wheels are turning. Um, I like any scenes where he was delving into his father's research. I think they set up the building blocks and they just knock them down before this kid could really do anything, which wasn't fair. And I think a lot of the reason for that is because what Ferdia Shaw was doing well, which is why I'm using the therapy scene, he does a lot to emote with his eyes and they cover them up because they have those, and it happens very quick in a throwaway line, the fairies can either read your mind or control it. So you have to have these reflective glasses. So you've literally just cut off his window. And that's why thinking about it now, he's better in the first half of the movie than the second, because you, you 
took away a very powerful acting tool from this kid. Colin Farrell plays Artemis Fowl Sr., and he's good. He's fine. You don't see a lot of him, but he's Colin Farrell. He's good in basically everything you put him in. He's great in everything, but I think he was underutilized here. They, I mean, he's an important character, but he doesn't have a very big part. I think we're going to see that later on down the line in the sequels. Um, they knocked out his scenes in three days. That's how little he's in the, this film. But he's certainly not anywhere near as good he's, as he was in Saving Mr. Banks. Like, again, I think this falls victim to bad writing, bad direction, because we know that he can be so much better than what we got from here. Lara McDonnell plays Holly Short, and I thought this actress was really talented. I like the character. Um, I would say that I wish we saw more of her and that she did more. I mean, she did what she was supposed to do, but as I mentioned before, the fact that she just summoned his father and just pulled him out of this lair, she could have done it the whole time. It's, I would have rather seen them go on a rescue mission, but other than that, I thought she was fine. She was fine, but could have been great if they gave her a more full character arc, but I like what I hope to be the beginnings of a character here. Uh, and I, I like the actress. Josh Gad plays Mulch Diggums. I don't know. I honestly don't know how I feel about this character. I like Josh Gad. I think... Like, part of the reason why I feel bad to say I don't really care for this character is because I feel like that's a slight against Josh Gad. And we would never. And I would never. But, eh. Um, I mean, what I said about the narration before, that, again, falls victim to the writing and direction. And I said I like the interrogation with him. I thought he did a great job. Uh. I like the, I dare say, Jack Sparrow-inspired quality that he gave Diggums. I'm not going to say it's a ripoff of the character because, you know, he didn't give that air of, I've seen it all, I've done it all. And they very easily could have taken that route because Mulch is supposed to be however many hundred years old. Like one of his jail sentences was like 164 years. So he's uh, he's immortal, I guess. But yeah, he gave it just enough of that towing the line between not even good guy, bad guy. You know he's a thief, but he just makes the character so likable, much like Jack Sparrow, but without being a total ripoff. I, I would say that... Diggums is actually probably, aside from the act of digging, one of my, one of the things that I really did like about this film. And it's so unfortunate because I remember when they released the casting information, Josh Gad posted all the time pictures of him in the makeup chair and he really loved this character which is why I thought this series was more larger than life, I think, than it actually is. You know, like, for for you who doesn't 
even like Harry Potter that much. If I say Dumbledore, you have a basis of who that character is. Yeah. You've read a Harry Potter book, but even not being fully immersed in that world, Dumbledore is so much a part of popular culture that even you who is not a fan would know who he is. I kind of thought that that's what Mulch Diggums was going to be. And, and I don't think that's wasn't. the case. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Nonzo Anozi plays Dom Butler. This is the best character in the movie. Yeah. I think he's the most fleshed out. I love his paternal instincts. I think that he is kind of the, um, he's the Alfred to the Batman, right? I mean, um, everything about him is just a lot of fun. I think that they fleshed out a really good character here. I thought that his dialogue was great. I thought the actor was spectacular. Um, and and, and for, for as serious as he was, he was also funny. But unlike a lot of the times where they like kind of force humor in this movie, his kind of came off as very natural. Best character in the movie, hands down. I think what was funny were, was because he was so dry. And that's where most of the humor came from when you weren't expecting it. Uh, I love his eyes, too. Uh, that was yeah. I mean, obviously they were contacts, but I think they punched them up a little bit with some CGI because they almost they glowed. Yeah, it's very cool. Cool looking character. Judy Dench plays Commander Julius Root. I can't understand half of what she's saying. Yeah, <laughs> you sound like the Water Boy. That's what she sounds like, Bobby <laughs> Boucher. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. I won't. Um, yeah, I mean, how do you? Well, I was going to say, how do you miss on a film that has Judy Dench in it? We don't need to unpack that statement anymore. Um, yeah, what a waste, even more so than Colin Farrell. They just squandered getting her in this film. And I mean, clearly Disney likes her. I mean, hello, Spaceship Earth. She was in Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Stranger Tides. Yes. Um. But what's there not to like? She's Judy Dench. Right. And I, I, I mean, she kind of looks elvish a little bit. So I don't think it was a far stretch just for the aesthetic alone to cast her in this film. But I, she didn't steal the scene. The, the best scene to me was when her and Mulcher going back and forth talking down his sentence. That is the only thing... Uh, I don't want to say that redeems this movie because I think that's being too generous, but to see these two insanely talented actors bounce off of each other in that way, that was a great bit of dialogue. And and that was a fun bit of comedy, but that's about as far as it goes. Final thoughts? Final thoughts... Um, I wasn't expecting to completely fall in love with this movie just because I knew it wasn't my cup of tea. Uh, so for as much as we've knocked it, I was at least trying to remain objective while watching it and trying to find things to like about it, even though admittedly it really wasn't holding my interest. But I was like, all right, 
that aside, I want to give it a fair assessment, even though this is something that I would have not normally picked out for myself. I was interested to see an adaptation of the book. I was very interested to see Mulch come to life after what I had seen on Josh Gad's social media for the better part of a year. Uh, And it just didn't do it for me. Um, There were things that I wanted to like, but just couldn't get into it because of all the story problems. Like, forget that I'm not that much into the genre. Forget that I've never read the book. Just watching it straight on as is, the story completely fell apart. And you'll lose me every time if if you don't properly pace it out. Pacing's bad. It's convoluted. I don't think they really finished any one thing that they started. Um, it's it's confusing. Like the whole thing is confusing, and I don't care about any of it. I don't care about the Oculus. I don't care that he's a criminal mastermind. I don't care that his father got framed. Because you told me to care, but you didn't give me a reason to. So, yeah, this... I don't always um, invest a lot in what I see on Rotten Tomatoes. But this movie is rated at an 8%. And I think that's generous. Uh, there, There's literally, other than a couple of moments and a couple of characters there's really nothing redeeming about this movie and i don't think they're gonna possibly do a sequel based on ratings i see what you're saying but at the same time they left everything so open-ended i would hate that they spent all this time setting up a sequel and that's part of the reason it's so bad because you didn't flesh things out because you intended to do more movies and that's where these franchise films become problematic you still have to have a complete film to appreciate on its own and then you know drop a little breadcrumb at the end that we're going to get a sequel like there is not one marvel movie that we've spoken about where we're like oh my god they left it open-ended each that's what makes the marvel universe so successful is that each film can stand on its own and then you get the after the credit scene that ties it to the next one. That is not at all what they did here. Um, I do disagree with you when you said it's convoluted. It's convoluted in the fact that they didn't know how to navigate scenes. As far as the plot goes, I do think it's fairly simple because it takes place all in one setting in this house. Um, and as I said before, I thought it would have been much cooler if you did some sort of scavenger hunt to track down everything that Artemis Sr. had done. Um, This would have been much better if the characters were stronger. Then I could forgive that it does take place in one setting if I had really strong characters to follow and enjoyed their relationships bouncing off of each other and, and, you know, to get into how they're learning to work together. 
Yeah, I guess. They gave you nothing to go off of in that regard. We're interested in knowing what you have to say about Artemis Fowl. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the Week is coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked, reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News of the Week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Designs. If you are looking for that Disney-inspired stationery to write an angry letter to Bob Chapek, Kelly has you covered, plus listeners of the show. Get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Be sure to go check out all of her stationery and her art prints, greeting cards, and more at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter, and KismetDesigns.com. So let's talk a little movie news first. The good news. We got a Spider-Man trailer this week. You know what? Fine. It's, we're in the multiverse. We knew this was coming, but it's, it's exciting actually seeing it on screen with all of these characters from the Toby Spider-Man movies. I'm, I am excited. I'm very excited for this. Everyone is. This trailer got more views than Endgame. This was apparently the most anticipated trailer, like, ever. What I'm having trouble understanding, though, is why people are making such a big deal about the multiverse when we knew that this was coming for so long. We knew the title of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, so we knew that that was going to open up. It was alluded to at the end of WandaVision. It was most certainly confirmed with Loki. And now we haven't gotten a chance to watch What If yet, uh, which I want to soon. Uh, But I think that all got confirmed as canon. So this shouldn't have been a surprise. And we knew that Alfred Molina got confirmed as Doc Ock again. It's just, it's seeing it. I think for people, it's seeing it. Yeah, and hearing the Green Goblin laugh. Because I know for as much as Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man gets the bad rap, uh... There was nothing like William Dafoe as the Green Goblin. The first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie is excellent. And I love Doc Ock, too. I thought he was such a great villain. I loved Alfred Molina's portrayal. So I've been excited for that to come back. Uh, What's really funny about this whole thing, I don't know if you saw this, uh, this trailer was so anticipated, and everybody was like, you know, we've gotten the Eternals trailer, but where Spider-Man was Spider-Man. Uh... Kevin Feige told us when this was coming. Do you remember in WandaVision where Vision circles the heart and he's like, why is this such an important day? Yeah. It was August 23rd. Well, there you go. They planted it in WandaVision. They sure did. Nothing. And see, that's where Artemis Fowl is just so bogus. When you get attention to detail like that, it I mean, everything is going to pale in comparison, but it, it's... It makes you look even worse when when there is a franchise that just has this level of detail and Easter eggs. For sure. All right, let's talk about Disney World annual passes. Walt Disney World annual passes. Um, this 
was a controversial morning when the news dropped that the Walt Disney World annual pass program would be resuming on September 8th of this year. I want to run through the details of each pass because I'm sure there are people that haven't read it yet. And honestly, there were people that read it panicked and did not like actually read what was there. There there was a lot of confusion this morning on social media. So you have four different levels of annual pass that are being offered at Walt Disney World. Which we could have guessed because of what they did at Disneyland. Now, you know, and it's funny, I gave a very in-depth prediction about uh, about what I thought the pricing would be for this AP program. And I went back to listen for it earlier today, and I realized the reason why I can't find my prediction after the Disneyland APs were released was because that's on our lost episode of (laughs) Flight of the Navigator (laughs) with the unusable audio. Let's just say, without getting into it, I was kind of pleasantly surprised with how these prices were structured versus what we saw in California, because I had said on that show, in short, because you're never going to hear it, take this and double it. That's what it'll be at Disney World, because there's twice the parks. Right. Plus the water parks. Here's where we're at. The first level is Florida residents only. It's the Disney Pixie Dust Pass, $3.99 plus tax, or $19 a month after a $205 down payment. You are you're allowed to do up to three park reservations at a time. No weekends. This is a weekday pass. Okay. The second one is called the Disney Pirate Pass. $6.99 plus tax or $45 a month for Florida residents after a $205. All of the down payments are $205, so I'm not saying it again. I uh, Can we just... I'm sorry. I hate these down payments. Why? Because I'm not buying a car. I mean, they do this at Sephora now. W- would you rather shell out $700 plus tax up front? Buy once, cry once. Put a pin in that. Because that's... There's there's a debate there that a lot of people are having, actually. So put a pin in that. I, well, to be fair, people are still hurting after 2020. So I'm not going to... I guess that's fair to have some sort of payment plan. Right. I'm not going to rip it apart that much then. Florida resident only. Four park reservations at a time. You can visit one or more Walt Disney World Resort themes parks on most days with a reservation. Subject to blackout dates during peak and holiday periods. I looked at the blackout dates because it's worth noting. In the next calendar year, in the next 365 days, under this pass, there are 69 blackout dates. Now, most of it is spring break holidays, and Christmas, and there were actually quite a few weekends that were blocked out as well. Not a ton. A couple of three-day weekends, I'm sure. Memorial Day, Labor Day, 4th of July. So, $6.99 a month, 
69 blackout dates. The next step up is the Sorcerer Pass. $8.99 a year plus tax. Or $63 a month after the down payment. Florida resident or DVC. Those are the only people that can buy this pass. Over the course of the next calendar year, 14 blackout days. So you're getting a lot of days back should you choose to jump up and pay the extra $18 a month to go for the Sorcerer Pass. Now, here's where things got dicey. Disney's Incredipass. $12.99 plus tax. Or $99 a month after the down payment. No blackout dates. This is the only pass out-of-state people can buy. The other three are Florida resident. One of them is Florida resident in DVC. So this is what is getting people fired up. Now, your parking's included, so you're not going to pay the $25, $30 to park your car. 20% off of dining, merchandise, and more. Bonus reservations become available, which is sort of obsolete if you have the Incredit Pass. Um, and then you can do add-ons. This was another thing that kind of drove people crazy. You were getting PhotoPass with an AP. You don't get that anymore. If you want PhotoPass, it's $99 a year. But adding the water parks is also only $99 a year. So this is where you kind of just have to look at this and say, can I... Am I going to come out on top? I think it's sort of what you need to figure out when you start looking at these packages and these prices. Right. Um, there's a lot uh, to think about here. Um, this is honestly a surprising turn and not how I thought this was going to go. Uh, I don't think that the prices are that exorbitant. I think that this is actually something positive that they've come up with under the Chapek dictatorship. Oops, did I say that out loud? Um, because, you know, there's a lot of things that they're doing where they're saying, oh, post-COVID, oh, post-COVID. And I think that some of it's true, and I think some of it is opportunistic. Uh, in this case, I think that they're addressing a problem that was existing before the pandemic, which was the crowds because they were catering so much to the APs that your family of four that's coming once in a lifetime is missing out on a lot of experiences and that's not fair. So I think with the blackout dates, I think that was actually a smart move. I mean, if I were a Florida local, I wouldn't be going during spring break, during a long weekend, on a holiday. I mean, you and I have always gone in November because it's our anniversary, but what we've noticed over the years, we started going on the regular in 2011. Veterans Day. It's gotten more and more crowded over the years. When we first went, the crowds were low in 2011, but what people figured out is that's the holiday changeover. And then you have the break from school. So it became a very popular time of year to go. So I think that Florida residents are less inclined to go 
during those holiday weekends when the crowds are going to be up. I mean, that's the perk of being local, right? Is that you can go anytime. You're going to want the crowds to be thinner. Um, and I feel like as far as having the Increda pass for the out-of-state residents, um, I think that is in an effort to thin the herd. And that is where I've said it before, I don't know that Chapek has a full understanding of what the Disney-going crowd wants because I almost feel like that's a shot across the nose to the childless millennial APs. Couples like us, even though we are not APs, who go down several times a year, you just bank all your vacation time and you use it all on Disney. I think that he's almost made it not worth it for couples because he's trying to spin this in favor of families because who are you going to make more money off of the family of four? Oh, and he has, I mean, he has said that he prefers the families that are coming down on vacation because they're not APs. They're not packing a lunch. It's not something they're going to come do next week. They're going to come in. They're going to spend their money at the park. They're going to get drinks at the park, eat lunch at the park, have snacks at the park, buy souvenirs at the park. You know, a Florida local who's an AP that's coming again next week or perhaps somebody like um, a run Disney uh, person. You know what I'm saying? Somebody that's, that's in all of the races coming from out of state and they have an AP because they're going to run six races a year and spend two days each trip in a park. They're not always going to buy the chachity hat that the family of four is going to buy. Now, this is where I do feel bad for people. It's not the childless millennial. It's certainly not the damn influencer. It's the Run Disney people. Yeah. This is who I feel bad for. Because yeah. Run Disney gets more and more and more expensive. The races are getting harder and harder to get into, especially because they're pre-selling now to this runner's club that they've sold memberships to. Um, you know, it's people are going to start really wondering is it worth it to go all the way there to run these races right because when i run the half marathon for wine and dine you know that's that's 200 bucks i could run the long island half marathon for like 40 not the long island half marathon sucks but i could run it for a lot less money i've run gasparilla in tampa for a lot less money I've run the Shark Tooth 10K. Now, given it's a 10K and not uh, not a uh, half marathon, but but in Venice, Florida, a lot cheaper. Cow Harbor Race here on Long Island, 35 bucks, and you know you get a big party and a beer truck after. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's value for the dollar. Eventually, people are going to say, "Well, $1,300 for an annual pass." At that point. You're not much better off than getting just a regular day pass, which I think is sort of where Chapek is pivoting to. He, talking about the Run Disney specifically, and I'm not saying that these are the people that he's got in his crosshairs per se, but they're certainly a demographic, right? If they go and run five races a year and do two days a week or, or two two days a trip in a park, when they were getting APs for 850 bucks. They were coming out on top. Now, it's almost equal to getting a day pass. Right. 
except now you're not shelling out that money up front. Now, you could do the $99 a month payment plan, but maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe if you're not running a race in July and you're not going back to Disney until November to run Wine and Dine, maybe June, maybe June July, August, September, October, those five months, you don't want to give Disney $500. You don't want to give them $99 a month. Right. So now you're kind of relegated to getting yourself a two-day pass. And you're in for 129 bucks a shot, you know, or whatever it is at this point. But I think it's about 129 um, or 139 The point is, it's no longer a value on the dollar for those people. So are they going to be so inclined to spend $1,000 a year on races, another $1,300 a year to go into the parks, plus airfare and accommodations? I'm not sure that that's going to be palpable for a lot of people moving forward. I also w- wonder how much of a factor is played, you know, because there's a million study groups on people's willingness to travel. You know, I'm wondering if studies have shown that people that are not Florida residents were not willing to renew their annual pass, not because of the cost or anything else other than that they're just not ready to travel yet. Yeah, uh, I think that that certainly has something to do with it. I mean, but in that aspect, the the crowds are going to thin anyway. But I'm not talking about crowds. I'm talking about where where the most money is going to be made. So you're talking about supplementing losses at this point. Exactly. If somebody's not willing to renew their annual pass because they're not ready to travel at all yet. So so let's say in the back of your mind, you don't want to travel until summer of 2022 you want to get a feel for what the delta variant is going to be you want to see if there's another vaccine booster or whatever and you're just not ready to do it yet to each his own okay fine uh that's six months out of the year that you're not going to travel so why would you renew your ap for the back end of six months if you are even ready right so i think from a business standpoint they're looking at it as well if we're going to lose, I don't know, 20% of our AP renewals because people aren't willing to travel, let's clobber the family that does want to travel that comes once. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. Um, but on the flip side, I look at these prices, and perhaps it's we're from New York. It's incredibly expensive here. Um, I look at this, and I think to myself, these prices are not that bad. Now, perhaps it's different for somebody who's from the Midwest or somebody that's from, you know, Pennsylvania or whatever, where it's not so expensive to live. And, and like, it's not it's not uh, customary for them to go to, say, a baseball game and for two people to go, you're in for 500 bucks. You know what I'm saying? For us, it is what it is. So when I look at these prices, I think to myself, for value on the dollar... And it's, I haven't said this recently of Disney, if I'm being honest with you. For value on the dollar, I think that these prices are right where they need to be. I don't think they're unapproachable. I agree. And with regard to Memory Maker being taken away, $99 for the year is not that bad. It's $199 when you add it on to your trip. And that's just for, you know, however long you're going to be there. And then you get to download all of your photos. To pay that for a year is really 
not that bad. And that's something where it's kind of like I was waiting for Disney to catch on because APs have we we've not taken anyone up on this, but we have been offered by APs to link accounts and then they would just give us all of our pictures. So I kind of understand why this is why we can't have nice things. And people are also acting as if everybody has to have it. It doesn't have to be everybody. Let's say that it's, you know, like let's say it were you and me. If you and I were to get annual passes, we would just put, we would probably put the photo pass on my account because anytime we're going to get pictures, we're going to be together. So instead of spending $200, we're getting it for 100 bucks because I also ride attractions that you don't go on when I get my ride pictures from Tower of Terror and Space Mountain and Everest. People are going to figure that one out too. I mean, if you I mean, they're not going to blur your face out of the picture. <laughs> You're in it. If you break it down, if you get the annual pass and to make the AP worth it, you'd have to go to the parks let's say 10 times for argument's sake to make it worth it give or take it's about 100 bucks a trip that brings for the memory maker if you go 10 times that's 10 bucks a day for each time you're there which to get all your pictures which is what we were paying when we were out in disneyland with the max pass that's like a dollar an hour for your pictures not bad no it, it really isn't and so it should be mentioned as well, because it's in the fine print, a lot of people were concerned if they became APs and had, say, a seven-day trip booked, well, wait a minute, you're telling me that I can't make my seven park reservations? If you have an active reservation at a Walt Disney World Resort hotel, you can make park reservations for the entire length of your stay, regardless of what level of membership you have so they are guaranteeing you that if you have uh, you know like let's call it the pirate pass and you get four reservations on the pirate pass but you go for seven days and you have a resort reservation you can make reservations for the entire trip so in other words the resort reservation unlocks it whereas if you're gonna go for the day you can't Let's say you're going to go for Thanksgiving. You can't you can have your one day in Magic Kingdom, but then if you're going to go for Christmas, you can't plan your Epcot day just yet. While the Magic Kingdom is held, you'd have to wait until you go, use it, then you make your next one. Well, you get you'd get 3 of them or 4 of them depending on your level. Right, so you right, could right. you could make your you could make but you can make 4. That's the thing. So if you've got 4 and then uh, a new treat comes out, or some limited edition merchandise comes out tomorrow and you've already got your four reservations, you need to cancel one to make a reservation to go tomorrow. But they're giving you four. So that's a day in each park. You're covered, you know? This is more for people that are going four and five times in a week that I think are kind of kicking up a stink about it. Which, I mean, I get... I, I understand from their perspective when you're used to having something that you could literally decide at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you know what, I'm going to go ride Space Mountain in an hour, and you can just go. You might not be able to do that anymore if the parks are filled with reservation. But, you know, at the same time, the crowds have gotten crazy, and they're trying. You know what I'm saying? Like, get get aggravated over how expensive things are and whatever, but at the same time, 
Disney is trying to curb it a little bit so that you are still getting your value on the dollar. They don't want it to be something where you're spending $150 a day on a one-day ticket and getting on three attractions because you're standing online for 90 minutes for literally everything because there's too many people in the park. No, and I think that that's a big lesson to take away from this is read, read the fine print, and comprehend what you're reading before you take to social media and complain about it. There were, yeah, I mean, and I, to, to go back to what I was saying before with, for us, it may be different because of what things cost here. I reached out to a few of my friends, of our friends, that are APs, that have active APs, and I said, am I off the mark in thinking that these prices are, like, outrageous? Or that they're not outrageous because a lot of people on social media seem to think they are outrageous. And everybody I spoke to said, no, this is just fine with us. This isn't much more than we were spending to begin with. And everybody knew that a price hike was coming anyway. Nobody anticipated that the prices were going to go down. So it didn't seem like it came as a shock to anybody. But we want to know what you guys have to say about the AP structure, the AP prices. Are you currently an AP? Are you looking to become an AP? Is this going to deter you or is this going to push you forward with an affordable payment plan monthly? You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. Or you can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like us on that social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal radio uh you can like subscribe and rate us on verbal or your podcast platform of choice and of course we gave you the email address and for links to everything the social media the show the email it's always online at monorealradio.com for jackie i'm sean have a magical week everyone on behalf of monoreal radio we'd like to thank you for joining us we'll see you at the movies the stuff dreams are made of